What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me on the latest broadcast, part of the CSG Network. Uh, tonight, I tonight, it's, it's broad daylight. Uh, today, uh, I got a special guest on here. But before I get started, I want to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Noisie, in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. Uh, they are always online at bfwdenver.com. If you want to pick yourself up some wine, um, get that 2017 Cabernet I've been talking about, or the Blake Street Blend. Local Colorado Fair, uh, you'll really, really enjoy it. But they got whites, they got reds, basically everything you need for a wine bar. Go to bfwdenver.com. You can book yourself a virtual wine tasting. Uh, you can also get yourself a uh, um, some swag. Uh, they got some growlers on there uh, that I've been made aware of. Or uh, you can pick yourself up a wine bottle for delivery, shipment, or curbside pickup. Once again, they're located between 18th and 19th at Blake and Wazee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado. Just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. Always online at bfwdenver.com, on Facebook and Instagram under Blanchard Family Wines. When you go in or you talk to them, tell them Jeff Morton from CSG Podcast sent you there. This is Chris Fusley, owner of the Blake Street Tavern. Do you like to play games or watch games? At the Blake Street Tavern, you can do both. We have 69 high-def big screens, an award-winning underground social games room, features pool, darts, papa shot, skee-ball, giant Jenga, and cornhole. Okay, so what's it going to be? Watch games or play games? Dude, figure it out. I'm just the guy doing the commercial. It's the Blake Street Tavern at Park and Blake, where Denver watches sports. What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me on the latest Morecast. Okay, making his debut on, on the Morecast is someone I probably should have had on a few years ago. And uh, it's my neglect that I hadn't done this. Uh, my excuse is that I'm very, very old. Uh, this is uh, my, my good friend from the Denver Post, the Nuggets beat writer. It's Mike Singer. Hello, Mike Singer. Hey, Jeff. Uh, I, I would say that it's not on you. I would say it's on me. Uh, that I haven't said, hey man, when you can, when do I get the invite? Uh, so I will take, uh, I will, I will take the onus on that one. Well, it's all good. It's all good. And I, I had you on here because you, you've uh, done some. I mean, look, I, my days of being an insider are long gone, um, and I'd like to get some information from people who are actually inside the Nuggets. Um, and there's no one more inside than Mike. And I really have been fascinated with the, the, the. Michael Porter Jr. Uh, discourse. Uh, he's by far the most interesting character in this whole thing. And uh, Rob Mahoney, you had him on Nuggets Inc. podcast. You can find that wherever you get podcasts. I listened to it on Apple uh, podcasts here today. Uh, but it was a great interview with Rob Mahoney from The Ringer. Uh, Mahoney has a tome of a interview and article on him and it's very fascinating and there's more to this dynamic that I kind of want to explore so as someone who has been around the nuggets and was at training camp and saw these dynamics play out even though over the last course of the, to the two years Michael Porter Jr. has a big opportunity in front of him right now um, but the dynamics of this team are what fascinate me. So before I get into that, just your basic view on how uh, Porter can step up this year and kind of uh, be what the Nuggets need him to be with Jamal out. 
Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt. They need Michael Porter Jr. to be the number two hub um, in the offense. They can pair uh, an all-time great passer with a potentially all-time great shooter, and that should sustain the offense. Um, I've been saying, you know, all all preseason that the Nuggets' margin for error is obviously a lot less um, with Jamal Murray out. So, Because of that, Porter needs to be efficient. And not only does he need to be efficient on offense, he needs to be engaged on defense. And he can't have the lapses that we've seen from him um, in these past two years. And certainly those are growing pains. And certainly, um, you know, you lose a lot of developmental basketball when you don't play in college, essentially. He essentially missed his college career. So he's trying to learn NBA defense on the fly. And that's not an easy thing to do. Um, I think that they view him as a giant piece uh, defensively who can crash the glass and can get his, his arms and his wingspan inside the passing lanes and, and, uh, and affect um, the, the opposing offense in that way. Um, but Michael Porter Jr. is not you know, going to be a lockdown defender. The Nuggets need him to be average. Um, or above average at best um, to get the best version of him. They, like offensively, offensively is not the, the challenge with Michael Porter. It is getting him to have that agility, that anticipation, um, and that sense of team concept uh, within the, the bigger picture of Michael Malone's defense. So uh, though, that's kind of the area I want to see him grow this year defensively. Um, offensively, man, they, they are rolling out the red carpet for him. He's going to I mean, he's probably going to have 20 plus shots a game um, with, with what the offense is, is probably going to look like. And, and then there's obviously a discrepancy. Are we talking pre-Jamal or post-Jamal comeback? Because uh, I'm not sure what that looks like uh, in terms of the team hierarchy um, when and you know that eventually happens. You know, it's funny. I I was thinking about this today and I listened, when I listened to your podcast with Mahoney and what struck me is something that i mean the first year i covered the denver nuggets carmelo anthony was still here and that locker room dynamic was completely different from any other locker room that has subsequently been there's been a lot of inter inter, uh, like iterations of the denver nuggets and each set of players has a different kind of dynamic and i was thinking about that as well which you just brought up with jamal because uh look you got three guys who can legitimately be called uh number one options i mean if michael Porter jr gets uh drafted by a rebuilding team uh his where where he is is completely different than where he is now i don't think he would be quote unquote better but his offensive uh, approach would probably be more focused and i think i think because of that that dynamic it's been an interesting process to watch how the other players interact with him and how his involvement kind of evolves. When you look at Mike and when you look at his involvement uh, with this Denver Nuggets dynamic in the locker room, how would you say it's evolved in the last, well, say two years he's actually, he, he's been playing up till now? Yeah, I mean, like the first year he was around, he, he was just kind of close with Jared Vanderbilt, with Isaiah Thomas, guys who were on the mend and, and trying to either establish themselves in the NBA or reestablish themselves in the NBA. And Michael Porter Jr., we never talked to him his, his rookie year. And so we didn't really have a sense of, um, you know, where he fit. Uh, but, you know, and this is something we met, I mentioned on the podcast recently is like, think of how difficult it would be to recalibrate your, 
goals when you have been anointed, um, you know, the best player in the country for uh, years and you expect to be an NBA all-star from the jump, you expect to be a top three pick. And then these two back surgeries hit you and you need to reassess where you are. Um, and, and I think Michael Porter stopped looking at himself in a grander landscape and comparing himself to other players. I think he started comparing himself to say, I want the, to, to um, kind of draw out the best version of myself. So in that sense, I think Michael Porter Jr. was humbled when he came um, to the Nuggets. And Michael Malone has talked about this a lot. Like for years, he was the best player in the gym. Uh, any, any gym he stepped into, he dominated. Um, and that wasn't going to be the case in Denver, not only because the NBA obviously is a higher level of basketball, but Denver um, had established itself as a contender by the time um, he, he kind of arrived onto the scene. So I, I think that we... I, one of the things I want to see him grow in is is in the leadership capacity, the leadership component. Now that he's been entrusted um, with this max money, um, the Nuggets said it with Nicola. They said it with Jamal. Like this money is not just for who you are in a, in a raw basketball sense. This is for who you are as a person. We are investing in you and, and we're investing in you because we view you as a pillar of the franchise moving forward. Um, so to this point, I don't think he, you know, Tim Connolly said it to, to Rob, like this is a projection. Um, we are not paying you for the historic shooting that you put up last year in your second year in the NBA, which holy crap was significant. Was. Um, we are paying you to, to, to develop as a player, not only on the offensive end, but defensively and to establish yourself more as a leader within our locker room, because we value you as a person. That is what that contract um, said to me. And, you know, I, I wouldn't say that he has been the, you know, I, I wouldn't say he's been the beacon of leadership in the last year, but he also didn't need to be um, with Nicola and Jamal. So um, this is a work in progress. This year is going to be a huge growth spurt, both from a basketball perspective and from a maturity standpoint um, for Michael Porter. Um, and, and that's what we're going to see. That's really one of the main storylines I'm watching for the first uh, four or five months of the season. You know, I, uh, one of the reasons I, I uh, you make a good point there, and one of the reasons I keep bringing up uh, dynamics is that uh, I'm sure you listen to Mike's interview or uh, podcast with uh, JJ Redick which was fascinating, more fascinating than I think any of his personal podcasts, which is always him talking to other people. This was about him. And I think I learned more in that podcast about Mike personally than I had in any others. And he didn't say a lot about himself, but there was enough there to make me realize, okay, this is how his brain works. And his comments about Nikola Jokic were interesting in the fact that he thought Mason Plumley, when he got into camp was just, was was better than him when in, in camp. And then he said, oh no, then he, the, the player said, no, he'll turn it on when it's in time, right? All that stuff. But it was an interesting kind of trigger in my brain because I've said this often, Mike and Nicola are complete, are, are like might as well be on completely different planets. I think their commonality is the fact that they're both hoopers. And that's something that Tim Connolly, you know, he's told you and he's told me many times, he wants guys who are gym rats. He wants guys that are going to be in there and committed to basketball. And that's the tie that binds. But from your perspective, as someone who's, who's there, um, is, is there a kind of a tension there? Not necessarily personality wise, but, and in, and in like a, like a, like a, just an approach to just life and basketball between 
Mike and uh, 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 Nicola, that is, is, I don't know, it just seems like there's a giant wall there. They relate to each other as basketball players, but everything else, I don't think they understand each other. Yeah, I mean, they don't need to be, um, you know, cheersing on Saturday nights or downing Chivapi together. Um, they, they, they basically need to speak the same basketball language and, you know, and then the Nuggets will work, assuming that happens. So um, Michael Porter was not his primary dance partner last year. He's going to be his primary dance partner this year. Um, coming off pick and rolls, coming off dribble handoffs, um, ducking in. Nicola will be looking for a six foot ten ducker in Michael Porter. So I don't know. Like, of course, they they see they approach basketball. Uh, from diametrically opposed views. Nicola would rather pass first and Michael Porter would, would rather score first. But at the same time, I don't know how you fault either one of them because they're both playing to their strengths. Like Nicola is a, is a guy is a gifted generational passer and Porter is an elite shooter. So they both lean into their lanes. Like, so what that, that theoretically that works. I mean, isn't that better than having, you know, a Kevin Durant and a Russell Westbrook next to each other where they're both gunners first. Like I would say Jamal is somewhere in between both of those guys, maybe a little bit more um, score first mindset, but Jamal can create and facilitate it and plays that two man game with, with Nicola very well. So I think that I, I, I agree with you that probably their approach is way different, but I think that there is a shared respect there. I think Nicola wants to see Michael force a little bit less um, some of his shots and let the offense come naturally. Like if you just watch how Nicola plays basketball, it's a, it's a read and react skip ahead. Um, he, he'll, he'll give a skip ahead pass and bypass the natural pass there just to gain an advantage. And sometimes Michael Porter doesn't, necessarily use that passing advantage because he already has a height advantage and it's like a singular advantage to himself. So um, I think that if they could both meet in the middle a little bit and, you know, people always say, don't, don't they want to see Nicola be a little bit more selfish at times uh, when he can dominate it and score in the post. And he rarely leans into that, that, you know, approach. So, and I certainly think Michael can uh, look to create, look to pass more and get off the ball uh, more than he has in the first two years. So I think that there is probably a, a meet in the middle um, shared commonality there that, that maybe we see this year uh, between those two guys. But like, regardless of whether they come from totally different, ba different basketball backgrounds, like their games mesh and could mesh seamlessly to the point where, man, how many teams in the NBA would kill to have those two guys as their pillars heading into the year? Uh, I agree. And I think that, I think that the important part of this thing is that when you're, when you're talking about coming into a, a year where you're going to need, and let's face it, a lot, there's a lot of, I think the nuggets have tried, at least in my conversations with them, have tried to like not put as much pressure on uh, um, Mike as there, I think there is clearly. Um, I think they're, they need him to be much more. They need him to be that guy. They're not going to be relying on Bones Highland for that. I mean, as much as we're all excited for Bones, they're relying on Michael Porter Jr. in that starting unit to really take up a, 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 a role that he's never had before. And you've, you've kind of touched on this in uh, the podcast you did with Mahoney. And it's like when Jamal comes back, that's a different subject altogether. That's a 
that's a, we got to figure it out. Maybe we go back to the way we were, how we adjust to that once Mike is comfortable with being number two. But as of right now, do you think Mike has what it takes to step up to that, that guy who is going to be carrying a large, a huge portion of that scoring role into this regular season? I think he is like chomping at the bit for this opportunity. I mean, what we talked about when he was in high school, um, number one player, number one player in his class, let alone his team. Like the dude can, he's, he's hardwired to be the primary. And uh, if you ask Nicola candidly, he'd probably say, I'm more than happy to let you be the primary scorer, man. You can be the gunner. You can get 20 plus. Um, I don't even know if I'm referring to 20 plus points or 20 plus shots tonight. Like, Porter is going to thrive um, this year. And then there's going to be, have to, he's going to have to check himself at some capacity um, when and if Jamal gets back. Um, I think that there is going to be an implicit friction because they're going to ask so much of Michael Porter for the first four or five months. Um, and to be, you know, this, this scoring uh, beacon for the team and to lead, he's probably going to be the leading scorer. Um, maybe Nicola's points drops. I don't know, but um once Jamal gets back, like he's going to have to reassess where he fits. And, you know, that's hard after you've empowered a guy, after you've empowered him, not only with the contract that they gave him, but you've empowered him within Michael Malone's system. Malone is not ignorant. Like he and Porter have, 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 I, I would say had their philosophical differences the past two years, but like in order to compete this year and stay afloat, they need Mike to thrive. Malone is under no false assumptions. If Michael Porter and Aaron Gordon are not, don't elevate their game, take their game up 10 or 15% each, the Nuggets could well be within the playing game territory when Jamal gets back, which is a scary place to be. Um, to your question, I think he is eager, willing, more than capable uh, of being that. Um, what is a little bit interesting is you talk about the physical toll. Uh, you know, he got hurt in the Phoenix series. And he said, if it wasn't the playoffs, I wouldn't have been playing. Like, can his body physically handle what's going to be asked of him this year? 30 plus minutes a night. Um, not to mention going up against the top defender, uh, you know, wing defender that opposing teams have to throw at him. So there's going to be, I mean, he, he's about to go through a learning curve. Um, certainly on both ends of the floor. I expect him to flourish on offense and who knows if he does on defense. And again, who knows if he can hold up uh, to that level of um, ask from the team. Um, keep it with that in mind. Uh, I, I, people are, were very um, tense about the Nuggets performance in the, in the preseason. Uh, I've watched enough NBA to know that uh, there's, there's a, there's a difference in mentality uh, between the preseason and regular season. And I can tell that the Nuggets did not take Oklahoma City seriously at all in that first game. And I think there is some annoyance there. I know Malone was, was very upset. Um, but keeping that in mind, there's one thing I've noticed, and maybe this comes to the, to the Porter discussion too, is that the Nuggets are shooting a hell of a lot more threes than they were. I think at one point in that first Oklahoma City game, there were seven for 30. And is there a point there, is there a tension point here to where there are just putting up threes for the sake of putting th up threes rather than having the right guys shoot more threes. And I think there was just like specifically in that second unit, 
even with Mike in there, man, there was just so many threes going up and they were all bricking. And do they think that eventually it'll get to the point where the shots will start going in? Or is this just uh, kind of a, we'll see if it's going to go, how well this is going to go, all these threes, and we're going to ratchet it back. Uh, do you get any sense from the team what they're going to do there? Yeah, I mean, you know, Malone definitely wants, he, he said it a bunch of times, he definitely wants 43 pointers a game. Um, they were middle of the pack last year. I think they averaged 33 or 34 a game last year. So, uh, yes, he wants to up the number of threes, but I mean, up and down the roster, it's the point is quality threes. What, and what's a quality three? Quality three is when you, when you get it in the paint, when you collapse the defense, when you have the guards at the top and the perimeter turned around and have them spinning a little bit. And you do that by kicking it and, and sharing it and, and playing unselfishly. So some of the, you know, threes that you were alluding to in that first Oklahoma city game, they did come down and transition, no movement at all. Um, and just jacked it up. And the problem with that is you're not making the defense do anything like you're, you're not exhausting them by having them cover and guard for 24 seconds. You're bailing them out because what are the odds that you're going to get that offensive rebound? Sure. Three point shot, long shot, long rebound, like maybe, but like that defense was seemingly set. So I don't know how you're expecting to get that offensive rebound when they're all set like that. So, um, you know, Jeff Green was definitely, I would say a culprit of, he missed some open looks, but like, I think that they are empowering Jeff Green to shoot. I, we know that they're empowering Jermichael Green to shoot. Obviously if Porter is staggered with that second unit, he's going to be the primary um, with that second unit. And then PJ Dozier and Bones Highland are also gunners. So like up and down the roster, there are guys who can shoot three pointers. Um, it's just a matter of finding the right ones. And like, I mean, there are a lot of threes in that game that they were missing um, that were wide open where you're like, these shots need to be dropping either from PJ, from Jeff, Aaron Gordon missed a, a bunch of open um, jumpers that where you, you're like, man, you need to be knocking down those threes when the, the space and the gravity that Nicola and uh, MPJ play with allows for that, for those windows. Um, so I think that they're getting probably the right looks to some degree. They're just not converting them. Um, if they convert them, you know, we're all, we're, we're all going to say, okay, 43 pointers. It is, this is the, this is the way, you know, Malone had a crystal ball. Mm -hmm. So um, I think it is absolutely, you know, one of their uh, priorities this year, but if they're, if they're shooting like 11 of 44, like I think they did in that game, yeah. um, Malone's probably going to look hard at the types of threes that they're getting. Uh, definitely. And, and, uh, I'll, uh, last couple of questions and I'll get you out of here. Um, with that in mind, uh, the, the stagger, you brought that up. What makes more sense to you, um, to stagger Mike more in with the second unit or stagger Nicola more in with the second unit, because the nuggets play one way with Nicola and a different way with the second unit. And that's just going to be the way it is. You can't duplicate Nicola Jokic. Um, so do you think it makes more sense to get the scoring of, of Porter in there or the playmaking of, of Nikola Jokic in that second unit and kind of space them out evenly, I guess, through the, throughout the game? That's an interesting question. I think that probably it would help if Nikola was staggered with the second unit and could get everybody organized because way too often you see them just playing in isolation and it's like it's like do a little dribble move try to attack that doesn't work you don't create any separation kick it next guy does it austin rivers bones highland like 
it, it's way too individualistic for my liking. Um, and I think that there's like a hard pivot between how the starters play and how the second unit plays. Um, at the same time, like, I think you have to cater to your best player. And, and so if that means protecting Nicola and not, and, and putting the best pieces around him, um, so be it. So because of that, I think I would put, I think I would do what Malone is doing in this, you know, since we've seen the preseason. Um, but it is really interesting because to this point, Michael Porter is not a creator or a facilitator. He's not really involving these other dudes. And um, of course you think that he, that Nicola could lift that second unit up, but to what degree? I mean, we've seen the starters play together and when everybody's cooking like that offense is unstoppable with Joker, Barton, AG, Porter, and Monte all together. Um, and a more interesting question, um, I've seen it like posited on Twitter is, do you put Monte in the second unit because he's such a good floor general and have Faku in the starting lineup? Um, it's interesting. I don't know that I would go that far. I think Monte is a starting point guard across the NBA. I'm not convinced Faku is. Maybe he works well with this starting unit, but like I need to see more offense, uh, more of an offensive threat from Faku. Um, I've been a little bit disappointed with him in these first few games. I, I just don't see it um, thus far, but um, that's something to tinker with. Maybe if the second unit is really struggling in the regular season, maybe Malone does get a little uh, you know, trigger, trigger happy and see what he can do. But for now, like we've seen one game with Porter staggered with the second unit. Um, I'm going to give it at least a week into the regular season before I start pulling the uh, alarm bells. Uh, you know, and that, with that, you just brought up something very interesting, which I, I had thought of too, is um, uh, Faku. If he's not hitting shots, particularly in that second unit, it's just, there's, a giant uh, offenseless hole there. And it really is very glaringly obvious, but what, correct me if I'm wrong, maybe my memory's off here, but didn't last year, didn't they close the year because of all the guard injuries with Faku as the starting point guard, right? Yep. And they managed to win games with it. Uh, it probably, and then you bring it up, up a good point. I think it probably worked uh, better that way. But the problem is, you are right. Monte Morris is a, is a is a starting point guard in a lot of NBA teams, and it's going it's, it's that's going to be a hard gamble. How do you space out the, the 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 second unit, which is very clearly, I in my view, been the problem, the largest part of the problem the Nuggets have had in the preseason, or do you say they're eventually going to figure it out, regardless? Do do they actually do that? do like figure out that as a unit because they've played together for a while. I don't know that that's a, that's a hard question for Malone because uh, Jamal's not there. So you don't have a lot of that freedom to mix and match as you once would. Yeah. I mean, some of that might be predicated on, on the development of bones and, and maybe he he's more on ball in the second unit. Um, I know that Malone views PJ Dozier as a guy who can initiate, who can play pick and roll, who can handle, who can play literally. I mean, he thinks he can play one through four. I am more apt to think he can play one through three. That's obviously a pretty small power forward. Um, but like, there are options. Obviously, Austin Rivers can handle a little bit. I wouldn't say he's a good creator for others, but but he can attack in isolation. So, you know, I I, I don't know where they go with Faku. Like, if, if the offense isn't there, obviously the defense, he's, a, he's annoying and he's a pest. Um, but if he's not a threat 
offensively with the second unit and the second unit begins to struggle like that's where you look you look with with who's going to be your your initiator um and so at least they have options like last year they didn't have options and the, when they went 13 and 5 after Jamal got hurt it was Austin Rivers and Faku Campazzo as a starting backcourt that somehow against all odds beat the freaking Port- Portland Trail Blazers uh in six games so right. you know at least they have evidence that that it's worked before I get a little skittish thinking that that's going to get exposed throughout the regular season if they had to rely too much uh, on on Faku and Austin. But again, PJ was hurt. Um, they didn't have bones. So they have options of guys who might be able to settle that second unit down. And like, again, I mean, I said one week before the alarm bells, like, it's a long season. Like when they started the season one and four last year and the world was falling, I was like, all right, I mean, whatever you still end up with home court advantage so let's right. <laughs> you know everyone needs to chill out a little bit like uh like my man brendan malone likes telling uh his son michael malone oh yeah reminding him that it's preseason yes <laughs> right. um okay last one for me is uh uh so i i do follow you on instagram so did you on your honeymoon did you go out to eastern europe i went to croatia croatia okay how was that? Because I, 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 it was stunning scenery like that. I was, I was viewing there. It was very, very pretty. What made you want to go there? Uh, a, it was one of the countries that was open and hospitable and welcome to the U.S. Uh, amid COVID. Um, some, some European countries were not uh, like some EU countries did not want the people from the U.S. and Americans traveling there. Uh, Croatia was like open arms like they are so much of their economy is predicated on tourism and hospitality and restaurants and and you know just kind of making money off their their gorgeous scenery and coasts um that we were like screw it like we saw some uh, we had a friend who um who who had just visited there and showed us a bunch of pictures and we were like that looks incredible like that so honestly if you ever go to croatia it does not look real every city we went to we went to five cities in 10 days is jaw-dropping um from uh, we, we started in Dubrovnik, which is where uh, uh, Game of Thrones was filmed. So some of that scenery is insane. Uh, we went to Zadar, which is like, uh, uh, you know, just this awesome coastal city. Um, and, and it's funny because I leaned on Tim a lot. Tim Connolly loves Croatia more than anything. And he's given me all these recommendations of friends and people I got to connect with and um, gave me a bunch of restaurant recommendations. So it was really the trip of a lifetime. Um, and it was, I, I, I feel like I deserve some, uh, kickback from the, the Croatian, uh, tourism, uh, you know, society, but basically like it was very affordable. It was so, it was such an unbelievable trip. If anybody is interested, please reach out, uh, on Twitter or email. Like I would love to give you more information on Croatia. Um, Part of the Croatian Tourism Society hit me, uh, you know, 15% kickbacks on all trips. But um, it was it was a hell of a trip. If you ever get to go to that part of the world, it is it's special. And the funny part is I tried to convince my wife to go to Serbia. Uh, and the guy I was going to go visit, who is uh, on the Nuggets coaching staff, uh, wasn't there. So he told oh. me, uh, you don't need to. Um, but at one point I told Nicola, I was, I was thinking about coming to Serbia. And he goes, Mike, I'll tell you where I am, but you will not find me. Um, 
So ultimately, the, the Serbia honeymoon got the kibosh, but uh, no, Croatia w- was unbelievable. Oh, that's amazing. Well, I'm glad you got a chance to go there. And yeah, you are absolutely right about Tim. Uh, the first time I ever had him on the podcast in 2013, right after he was hired, we talked about European scouting and then he just had this long soliloquy about the greatest places to go in uh, Eastern Europe. And it was all of the, uh, the Balkan states, you know, all of them. And he's like, this is great. This is great. Oh, it's just, he, he should be getting the kickbacks and you should be getting them too. I know. <laughs> so, I know, anyway. I know. Tim, Tim, Tim's definitely interesting, loves to travel. And, um, you know, I think that that's one of the perks about his, you know, being around the NBA is uh, the, the ability to travel and see different places and see different cultures. And, uh, you know, Tim will say this, that sports is kind of a uniter um, and that uh, regardless of, you know, political views or any other um, seemingly divide, people are sports fans, uh, regardless of where you come from. So uh, that aspect of, you know, the Nuggets connection to the Eastern, Eastern Europe is just, is, is really cool to see. So, um, and I know you've been a part of helping to facilitate that. So that's pretty awesome. Very small part. Um, uh, well, thank you, sir, for being on. I appreciate it uh, on your debut. And I promise to have you on again. And we will talk about something other than Michael Porter for 25 minutes, I promise. So uh, (laughs) it's It's all good. uh, Thank you, man. Uh, And we'll be back, uh, well, I think on Monday with another episode. See you later.